Testament prophecy from the 12th chapter of the prophet Zechariah. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and they will grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves. And 
In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? And then he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The Passion History reading from St. John, the 18th chapter. We stand. And then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And then Pilate said to them, Will you take him and judge him according to your law? Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. And then Pilate entered the praetorium again, and he called Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew, your own nation? And the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And then they all cried again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in this man. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and he went again into the praetorium, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer, and then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you 
and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And now it was the preparation day of Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to them to be crucified. And then they took Jesus and they led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise against me. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Leave me not, O Lord my God. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise against me. Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise against me.
Dear friends in our Lord, tradition has it that in the early to mid-12th century, a Christian monk by the name of Bernard, the superior of a monastery in the French town of Clairvaux, sat pondering the very same thing that we do tonight. Reflecting on the passion wounds of his Lord Jesus and knowing those wounds to have been sustained in deepest compassion for him, Bernard was moved to pen a poem. The monk scratched down a poem that contained these words. O sacred head now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. Now, some 900 years later, we sit here tonight and we ponder in penitential posture the image that so stirred this medieval monk to record such poetic praise almost a millennium ago. Tonight, we turn our faces and look squarely into the face, beaten and bloodied, of our crucified Lord. And we, looking there, behold that which he devoted to the likes of you and me, his sacred head. When we consider a person's distinguishing features, it, it can't be denied that more than any other, it's a person's head that sets him apart. Well, certainly, marks, whether intentionally made with ink and tattooing instruments, or those unintentional ones, those already ours at birth, or those that become ours by the scratches and the scrapes of time, surely there are certain marks that do mark us as individuals, but our heads, those heads of ours with eyes and ears, nose, Mouth, eye color, ear positioning, nose prominence or protrusion, facial hair, hair color, hairline, those heads of ours, they, they make us one of a kind. They make us individuals. A person's head says a lot about him, and I mean this in more ways than one. Besides the physical characteristics, our heads describe us far more perhaps than we may realize. Does he hold his head up high? Or does his head hang down low? Is he headstrong? Big-headed? Pig-headed? Empty-headed? Is his head in the clouds or is it screwed on straight? You see, our heads certainly do more to define us than any other member of our body. Well, they also do more than any other member to, to carry and to bear the glory of a person. Or is shame. Consider it. What member of a king or a queen is honored at a coronation with the placement of a crown? It's the head. And what member of a criminal today is photographed or in years past was locked into the wooden stocks in the town square and pelted by the village folk with rotten fruits and vegetables? It was the head. The head, besides uniquely defining us, the head also more than any other member bears the glory of a person or bears the shame. Now consider our Lord's sacred head. Deserving to be raised high in glory above the highest angel and to be the object of pure and perfect praise, it is noble, his head. It's regal. It is by nature distinguished. It is divine. And yet consider it. That for your sake and for mine, his sacred head hangs low, wounded, and weighed down by grief and shame. Now if indeed the head is so instrumental in defining who we are, what are we to make of this? 
What do we make of this? How do we rightly regard this one whose head here below at least has been the object of brutal insult and injury? How do we esteem him whose head has been crowned with a band of thorns? Thorns that pressed into his tender skin draw a crimson flow of blood which mixes with his sweat to color his face the shade of agony. How do we esteem him? Well, by divine prophecy, Isaiah tells us exactly how mankind esteems him. He writes, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, he writes, and rejected by men. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. I tell you, the Lord of life here wears no disguises. What you see is what you get. Mankind esteems him correctly. He was stricken. He was smitten by God. And you consider tonight that sacred head of his and his wounds sustained and tell me that he wasn't afflicted. But recall also, what does Isaiah prophesy about us? We, he says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now, dear friends, if ever there was shame, this is it. If ever there was shame, this is it. The Creator inflicts Himself with and bears the burden of us, His creatures, and His creatures are ashamed of Him at school, at work, even at home, perhaps among our peers and friends in casual conversation. Among colleagues, among family members, do we yet hide our faces from him, as it were? Do we try hard to conceal our identity, much like Peter did outside the courtyard of the high priest? Do we even assent at times to the ridicule of Christ so that one won't say of us, you too, you're one of his disciples because your speech gives you away. Yes, his dear and sacred head defined him quite accurately. And it carried all the shame so that besides the words of Isaiah, the psalmist David, writing prophetically of this suffering Messiah, indeed speaking for him well before his suffering time, would write in the 22nd Psalm, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and they shake the head. O sacred head now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. What a mar it is. What a mar it is on all humanity that when our Savior comes to us, we should treat him like this. And we would wonder, we would ponder what was going on inside that sacred head of his as it brutally was being struck. As it cruelly was being crowned with thorns, as it was spared no pain in being driven to Golgotha, that place of the skull. Dear friends, we might well wonder, except that the first words our Lord utters from his cross betray to us exactly what was going on inside that sacred head of his. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
Father, forgive them who have been or ever will be ashamed of me. Father, forgive them when their confession of me is weak. Father, forgive them who have ever been frightened into silence or who will ever ridicule me to save themselves from ridicule. Father, forgive them all, for they know not what they do. And at this, we can only shake our heads in utter amazement and then bow our heads in humble reverence and in worship. For would God really devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Indeed. Indeed and gladly so, for he did suffer. He suffered until St. John records in one final insult a sponge of sour wine, fit to be thrown out, was raised to his head. And John writes, and so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Dear friend, take heart in this. Take heart. For if this is how fully your Lord Jesus has devoted himself to you in death, how confident you can be that he will without fail fully attend to you in your every need now that he lives. He who has the very hairs on your head numbered. Don't you think he's also got the many cares in your head well in his mind too? Don't you think he knows exactly those concerns of yours and and mine that fill our heads and that worry our minds? But don't you think, but don't you think that if Christ, the risen head, has overcome the world and its concerns, that don't you think that you, the members of his body, will then too? And so raise your head up. No matter who you are, where you've been, no matter where in this world His will for you would have you go, you raise your head up and know that He'll guard and He'll keep you until that last day when thanks to His sacred head bowed in death, He will crown yours with life never ending. And that gospel news, that gospel news is enough to sustain hearts through earth's most critical hour. Indeed, it's, it's enough even to melt hearts of hardened stone. But you see, the account is told of famed 19th century German theologian Albrecht Ritschel. Well, Ritschel claimed to be a gospel-believing Christian. But like so many scholars of his day, like so many scholars of our own day, Ritschel remade and redefined Christianity in his own terms. His, quote, Christianity was, was a theology of the self-made, the self-realized Christian, in which there was no original sin, no pre-existent Christ before Bethlehem, no wrath of God against sin, no cross, one substitutionary atonement. In fact, in one of his books, Ritual severely criticized Bernard of Clairvaux's hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, by that time redrafted by Paul Gerhardt, the famous Lutheran hymnist. He criticized it up and down for its description and, and devotion to Christ's physical suffering for us. You see, Ritual, with his self-made illustrious career, he had little use for the Lord's sacred head with grief and shame weighed down. But dying will do things to people. 
So you see, when it came down to his dying hours, when that critical hour came, you know what fueled his hope? You know what filled his hope and gave him confidence to face that hour? It wasn't a lifetime's work of anything self-made. No, it was reported that on his deathbed, Albrecht Ritchell begged his son to repeat to him the last two stanzas of that once ridiculed hymn, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. It contained these words, Be thou my consolation, my shield when I must die. Remind me of thy passion when my last hour draws nigh. Mine eyes shall then behold thee, upon thy cross shall dwell. My heart by faith enfold thee, who dieth thus, dies well. Because his sacred head, because his sacred head was weighed down for you in death, dear friend, raise yours up, expecting fully eternal life. Ponder now your Lord's sacred head. And sing with me those words ascribed to Bernard of Clairvaux, drafted, redrafted again by Paul Gerhardt. Remain seated and sing with me Albrecht Ritchell's favorite hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded.
Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and the chances of life may find our rest in you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Eternal God, the hours both of day and night are yours, and to you the darkness is no threat. Be present, we pray, with those who labor in these hours of night, especially those who watch and work in behalf of others. Grant them diligence in their watching, faithfulness in their service, courage in danger, competence in emergencies. Help them to meet the needs of others with confidence and compassion. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Abide with us, Lord, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us at the end of the day, at the end of our life, at the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair, the night when death draws near. Abide with us and with all the faithful, now and forever. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, you did once offer up your only begotten Son, that by his wounds we would be healed. We ask that you keep our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. May we ever recognize in his precious wounds our refuge from all guilt, the forgiveness of all sin, and the promise of life everlasting. Amen. The Almighty and most merciful Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and keep you all.